Really, after that, I almost just want to say amen, let's close in prayer and go home. But um, marvelous story of God's grace. Wonderful, um, I don't want to say application, but uh, real experience of what we find written in God's Word in the book of Romans. And wonderful uh, analysis of the present state of the majority of Jewish people. But God is a God of grace. And as the gospel was preached in those early days, it went out to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile or the non-Jew. And it was a grief of heart to Paul himself about his own kinsmen. They didn't have the book of Romans written then. He was in the process of writing those type things. But as he saw what was an amazing thing that Gentiles by the score, by the hundreds, were coming to the Christ, the Messiah. And Israel as a whole was rejecting him and becoming hardened. And it was a grief of heart to him as he wrote in the book of Romans and says, it was like a burden or a weight upon his own heart as he considered his own kinsmen, Israel after the flesh, and what had become of them, and what had become in a sense of God's plan. He said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. One translates it uninterrupted pain because of what was going on at the stage of that writing to Israel. And it grieved him in his heart even as he saw the thousands of Gentiles coming. And so that hardness that was mentioned by Noad is... Uh, it's an interesting word. I often illustrate it by saying that the blindness that Scripture mentions, or hardness, is um, sometimes translated in the New Testament as a callus. A callus is different than a blister. A blister is what you get when you go up half dome. And it pops up just like that. But a callus is built up over time. And if you are a musician playing a stringed instrument, I'll know how much you play. Just let me see the end of your fretting hand, your cording hand. Because over a period of time, your fingers will develop calluses from that continual exposure to the tension of those strings. Sometimes you shake an individual's hand and you think, now you're a working man, I can tell. Because they've built up calluses that are gradual over time. That's the way it was with Israel. Blindness didn't happen just like that. And much of the book of Acts is transitional to show us that that, that blindness came in and, and there was continual exposure and exposure to the light. And at some point that blindness in part happened to Israel as a whole. And so it's a dangerous thing, rejection, isn't it? It's a dangerous thing to keep putting things off. It's a dangerous thing to be exposed to the light and not do anything about it and allow the what the Scripture says, the heart to become calloused. We want to think about that a bit tonight with one of the individuals we've been looking at in the morning, or at least we looked at him a bit. His name is Esau. 
And as we have studied together in the Old Testament, which I really enjoy doing, this is sort of a, a uh, I don't want to say a venue, but this is a format where we can take up some rather lengthy portions of Scripture that we can't always do on just a Sunday here or a Sunday there, and we could look at, a, at the flow of Scripture as we find it in some of these Old Testament stories and accounts. We find uh, the man called Esau. And Esau, as with Jacob, as I mentioned this morning, if you were here, we were looking at the life of Jacob. Sometimes in the Old Testament with some of these individuals, it's a little bit difficult to precisely nail down the exact time when certain spiritual events took place in their lives. And we do have to be careful. We have to be careful with Jacob because he's mentioned in the book of Hebrews in the chapter that has to do with faith. Even with Isaac, we have to exercise caution. And so sometimes we who preach or teach the Word of God, or even as you're reading it, you make an assessment of an individual from the Scripture, but is it right or is it not? But sometimes we are helped. And we are helped because when we turn to New Testament Scripture, when we turn to the New Testament, we find that the Spirit of God has given us a commentary that will help us understand what was transpiring in the life of of certain people. And we have such a commentary that's found in in the book of Hebrews, interestingly enough, in chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, if you've ever read the book of Hebrews or studied it, I'd suggest to you that it is helpful to see that in the book of Hebrews there are five major warning passages. Beginning in chapter 2, how shall we escape if we neglect or ignore so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken unto us by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? How shall we escape if we neglect or ignore so great salvation? The last or the fifth warning passage begins in chapter 12 and verse 15. And we'll conclude in verse, around uh, the end of the chapter, but it says this in verse 25, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. Our God is a consuming fire. And so in this fifth warning passage that's given to us in the book of Hebrews, with the dire consequences that is found in each of these passages in the book of Hebrews, we have an individual who will illustrate something of these truths for us. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God and any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing, 
he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. A profane person as Esau. And with a certain forcefulness and poignancy, the Scripture says, for one morsel of meat, he sold his birthright. We read in the Old Testament, the count in the book of Genesis, chapter uh, 25 there and, and, and 26, that he despised his birthright, the Scripture says. Now, if you weren't here, uh, we remembered that I pointed out that the birthright contained a number of elements. It had to do with the posterity that would follow them, their descendants. It had to do with the promise concerning the land. It had to do with prosperity and God's blessing upon them. It had to do with all those great things. The, the one big catch was it was all future. And none of it was going to take place until the father died. And as we noted, those folks lived an awful long time back in the book of Genesis. Esau's father would live to be 180 years old. So in a sense, Esau was not interested in whatever there was out there somewhere in the future. He wanted what he could get now. He wanted the satisfaction of his flesh. And you couldn't find a more forceful picture, a more graphic illustration than somebody who would trade their birthright, sell their birthright, for just a bowl of beans. And the commentary of Scripture is he despised his birthright. And the commentary that's found here by the Spirit of God is is that he was an ex a, a profane person. What an exchange. Beans for a birthright. And you say, well, nobody's ever offered me anything. I don't have a birthright anyway. I don't have some great inheritance waiting for me. But wait a minute. There is a great inheritance. The Word of God tells us and reveals to us that this world is not all there is. Part of the frustration of people's lives, part of the hopelessness and, and sense of emptiness that people feel is that they don't know there's anything beyond this. And sometimes it's a miserable existence, sometimes it's a happy existence, but is this all that there is? It's one of the great questions that science can never answer the question of destiny. There are a number of questions that science can never answer. It can't tell you really where you came from. More than that, it can't tell you why you're here. And it cannot tell you ultimately what comes after this. And people, because of that, live lives that are filled with frustration and and lack of purpose and emptiness in a sense. But Jesus Christ came, and the gospel that He declared, according to what the apostles and His followers wrote, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel is a revelation. And it puts us in touch with the great reality that there is something else beyond this. That Jesus Christ Himself stood on this planet and said, I came from the Father. And I'm going to go back to the Father. 
There's a place I came from that's real. And there's a place I'm going back to that's real beyond the scope of what you can see with your eyes. Beyond what you can feel and sense with your senses. It is a great reality. And he holds out to each and every one, sinners like myself, sinners like Noah, sinners like you, that if you come to him and recognize the work that he has done for you to make it possible for your sin to be forgiven, that you do have an inheritance that's before you. The Lord Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So there is an inheritance that's before you. But you know what? A lot of people sell out. And they don't sell out necessarily for a bowl of beans physically. But they sell out for what they can get just out of this life. That's particularly true with young people. I remember one time when I first got saved, I was sitting in a little jail cell in a small town in the state of Georgia, and a group of Christian folks came in, and they were there to present to us the gospel. And I saw this old man. I mean, he was old. I mean, I'm not old, but he was old. And, uh, you know, I saw him sitting there, and they were singing songs like you guys were singing tonight and all, and and that man just wept, you know, tears rolling down his face. I think I'd been saved about a month. I didn't feel like that about heaven. I thought, well, it's fine for you to want to go to heaven. Looks like you're almost there anyway. But me, I just got saved. I want to live. I don't want to go to heaven yet. I want to live life. I mean, I was saved. But, you know, I just, heaven hadn't become that great of a reality to me yet in that sense. And, you know, when you're young and a preacher comes up and he talks about death and he talks about eternity and he talks about uh, the end of your life and heaven and all those things, you're thinking, yeah, well, maybe in another 30 or 40 or 50 years, I'll give it some serious consideration. The Word of God says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. The Word of God says your life is like a vapor. It's like the mist that rises up. And when the heat of the day comes along, it dissipates that fog and spreads it out. It vanishes just that quick. It's like a breath your life is. And I know that's hard to wrap your mind around when you're young. Because you think you got your whole life in front of you. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. And the great temptation is to live to just get out of this life what you can now. Satisfy your flesh. Satisfy your desires. Give in to gratification of the senses. And not think about God. Or eternity. Or sin or the Bible, or Jesus Christ, or any of those things. Esau, I want you to notice what he is called. He is called profane. Now, the word profane, so I'm told, I'd do good to get English going, but 
and I'm not a Greek scholar, I'm not a, any other kind of scholar for that matter, but I do read a little bit, and I'm told that that word comes from the Latin, actually. And the, the, the concept of the Latin word is something that was outside of what was called the sanctuary or the holy place. It doesn't mean profane necessarily in the same sense that we talk about a person talking profane, although it, it, it's derived from that. It means that this person is outside or apart from that which is connected with God. They don't want anything to do with God in that sense. They're, they're outside of those things. Those things are out there. They're not a part of me. That's what Esau was called. He was called a profane person. We're told what he did in verse 16. He sold his birthright. He sold it for a mess of beans or a bowl of beans. But I'll tell you what troubles me about this passage. And you know, interpretations vary. And you may not agree with some of my interpretation or how I see certain parts of Scripture and who exactly this applies to. But I want to tell you one thing that this passage does emphasize. Whatever is meant in verse 17. There came a time when Esau wanted things to change, and it was too late. He wanted things to change, and he could not change them. Now, we can argue about the exact application of that, but that is certainly what the passage says. I take it to mean in its immediate context of that experience he had when he went into his father, and he cried and wept and wanted the blessing, but it was too late. There was no place of repentance. Even though he cried and wept and everything, he couldn't change what had happened. And you know, the Word of God tells us, just like with what Noad said, that blindness that he mentioned did not happen all at once to Israel. The callousing of their heart, of that continual rejection of the light, of the truth, until the eyes were blinded, the heart was darkened, the mind was affected. You get it in Romans chapter 1. You get it in Ephesians chapter 2. And it's what happens. You keep rejecting. I don't know when it is. I know I've met some people in my lifetime. It's probably some of the scariest experiences I ever have. And I don't even know if that was the way it was, but I can think of a couple of times when I really confronted people on, at death's door with the gospel, and I really believe for them it was too late. I could tell by the way that they, the hardness that was there was almost something you could feel. Now, God is a God of grace, and maybe that's just me and my own you know, lack of sensitivity or whatever, but I'm telling you, it was a scary, scary thing. But I don't know when that is. But I do know this. You're here tonight. And some of you will be listening by means of audio media, whether it be MP3 or in some other format. And if you're alive and breathing and hear the sound of my voice, I want to tell you there's hope for you. There's hope for you. It does not have to be too late. Today is the day of salvation. All the work has already been done. 
What a beautiful story we have of the life of, of Jacob and how God in His grace went after that man. And yet, we come to the New Testament and what a story we find there. Like Noah had shared with us tonight, I was so thrilled to hear it, of that courtroom scene, because that really is what the book of Romans is. And let me tell you, I've had the unfortunate experience in life of standing before a judge on a bench in his robes and having sentence pronounced upon me. And I'll tell you one thing, that all the different times I've been in courtrooms on the wrong side of the law, one thing that never happened, that judge never got up from that bench, stepped down and said, I'll take his place, and took that robe and put it on me. That never happened. But I'll tell you, that's what happened one day when the Lord Jesus came down to this earth, when the Son of God stepped into this world, and He said to you, I love you so much, I'll take your place. I love you so much, I'll pay the price. My love is so great for you, I'll die for you. And I'll bear the penalty that you deserve in my body there on that tree. And I'll suffer the shame and the humiliation and the death of the cross. I'll die a criminal's death. But I'll die a death that will satisfy the just requirements of God so that your slate can be wiped clean. And you'll never have your sin thrown back in your face. It'll never be brought back again because when the books are open the record's clear that's what jesus christ did for you and that's what he did for me and it's a wonderful and a tremendous thing but i want to tell you if you reject that there's no other place well there is another place that you choose If you reject Jesus Christ as Savior and reject the salvation that He offers, you make a choice. I want to tell you tonight, every person in this room, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to do any of that. I don't have to. You're going to make a choice. And your choice is either going to be, I will receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I will bow to the Son of God and own Him as Savior and Lord. Or I'll reject Him. And God will not force you. God will not overpower you and make you make that decision. But if you continue to reject it, there will come a place, a time, when it will be too late. You know, I think sometimes too late Esau realized a mistake had been made. Five minutes after death, what's going to matter to you? Do you think five minutes after death, whenever that may be, that it's going to matter? How much education you have? How big your bank account is? Whether you made who's who? Whether everybody in the sports world knows who you are? Whether you're the most popular person around? 
five minutes after you close your eyes in death. Now, if you're in school, you ought to, you're a Christian, you ought to work as hard as you possibly can. You ought to have a good testimony. Get education while you can. But I'll tell you, five minutes after you die, none of that's going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter then is whether you came as a sinner to Jesus Christ and you said, Lord Jesus, I'm the sinner you died for. And right now I come to you and I believe your word and I receive you as my Savior. And you said to everyone that received you, they would become the very sons of God. Lord Jesus, I come now. That's what's going to matter. And just a word to those of us who are saved. What's going to matter to us five minutes after death? <laughs> what's going to matter to us at the judgment seat of Christ? <laughs> I speak to myself. There's a whole lot of things that I won't be thinking about at that time. And I, I don't know how it's going to work out. Again, it's one of those areas. I, I'm not, you know, I won't go to the wall for this one. But I don't know what the judgment seat of Christ will entail in its entirety. Will I get there and wish that I had done this or that or the other? Now is the time. If you're here as a believer in Christ, and you recognize those great words that Paul himself wrote when he said, The Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me. That is all the motivation you'll ever need to live your life for Him. And so if you're here tonight and you're not saved, tonight is the night. Now is the time. Right now. You can trust Christ as Savior. You can pass from death unto life. And you can know that you're saved for all eternity. Let's look to Him in a word of prayer. Father, we pray that none within the sound of our voice, be it here in this amphitheater, be it anywhere around here in this campsite, be it by means of electronic media, we pray that there would not be any who would reject the offer of Your salvation and Your Son, the Lord Jesus. We pray that there would be none who'd have to come to the end of life and find it too late. Now is the time. Today is the day. Oh, Father, we pray, disturb them. If they leave this area, Lord, don't let them get any rest. Don't let them get any sleep until they settle the greatest questions they'll ever face. What will you do with Jesus? Who's called the Christ. And Father, for those of us who are Christians, those of us who are saved, what will it profit us if we only live our lives for the gratification of self and don't yield our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service? Speak, we pray to each and every heart, and we give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.